The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into the word, including um, a little bit of uh, informational trivia. We're going to get a little bit of an education today uh, on some things to go with the season as well. So, Father, thank you for your word in this time together. I pray that you would, God, give us ears to hear, Lord, hearts to be open, that we could receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it is uh, Halloween today, and I know there's a lot of different thoughts and feelings on Halloween from... uh, you know, don't even leave your house, it's just the day of the devil, to, uh, hey, it's just kids having fun trick-or-treating and having candy, to all types of things. Um, but I'll just say every day is the Lord's day. Uh, God owns them all. And so we're just going to focus on Jesus and focus on him. And, uh, but it is Halloween, so our message is going to be a, a, about trick-or-treat. And we're going to talk about whether or not we can trust God for goodness, in our lives, we've been talking about being rooted in love. Is God good, and can we trust him all the time for that? And sometimes life feels like it's a, more of a trick than a treat. It feels like something's happening, and we're like, man, I thought life would be like this, and it didn't work that way. Um, I was actually reading the book of Job earlier this week, and uh, that's in the Bible. If you don't know your Bible very well, there's a, one of the books is the book of Job, and it's a guy that loses everything. And at one point, there's a verse, and it talks about how his paths were, in the old days, before everything went bad for him, his paths were paved in cream. That's what it says. Your, your paths were paved in cream, Job. Anybody ever had a season like that where everything was just paved in cream? It seemed to go really well. And then other times, you know, like five minutes later, it doesn't seem like that's how it works. That's just how it is sometimes. So, but trick or treat. So did you know that sugar stimulates? This is a little bit of just kind of Halloween candy trivia. Did you know sugar stimulates? Okay, I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about the economy. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Americans are predicted this year to spend, guess how much money? Anybody want to guess? How much? Seventy-four million? Like triple our economy on just candy. <laughs> Brand is a sweet tooth. Uh, we got 74 million to seven, did you say 700 trillion? Seven trillion. Okay, here's the actual number. $2.6 billion on Halloween candy. $2.6 billion. You could buy a couple professional sports franchises for that. We could all be owners together. But $2.6 billion or several soccer franchises. Sorry, soccer fans, but that's just the truth. Um, here's another one. We will give out 12 billion individually wrapped snack-sized candies today in America. 12 billion. That's enough for everyone in the world to have a piece and have four billion left over. That's a lot of candy. That's everybody in the world. And have a little left over. And some of us are running around with huge bags, and then people even run by and steal each other's bags. Uh, but there's enough candy for everyone. You don't have to stress about it. Anybody like candy corn? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yummy. Anybody not like candy corn? Okay, so here's, this is a side question that isn't a part of my, isn't a part of my research, but this is live research. If you're a candy corn lover, raise your hand. Okay, st- stay there. If you have your hand up and you do not like peeps, candy, lower your hand. 
Okay, you can all put your hands down. I was just trying to see if it's the same weirdos that love peeps and candy corn. I was like, how do you fall into this? Uh, does anybody eat their candy corn, the little white piece, and then the little orange piece, and then the little yellow piece? If they were all one color, nobody would buy them. They're like the OCD weirdo candy. Like you just, the only reason we eat them is because you can eat them in sections. That's the only reason. Like Kit Kat, if it was one bar, would we still eat it? Yes, it's chocolate and wafers. But a candy corn, if it was one just a little orange triangle. People wouldn't even pick it up. But anyway, total side note. Uh, so here's a candy corn, a little kernel for you. <laughs> a kernel of truth. Candy corn kernels sold during Halloween were late if they were all laid out around the world end to end. So point to end, point to end, point to end. Guess how long that would be? Seven times what? Wow, you guys are big thinkers. It would go around the world, four and a four point two five times around the world. That's a lot of candy corn. That's just a candy corn for today, and some people eat it all year long. Okay, and this is the last one that just proves that life beats death every time. Although candy consumption is a main focus of Halloween, there's one other day per year where more candy is actually sold and consumed. Easter. Easter. Right? Isn't that awesome? Jesus wins every time. Every time. He always wins. He even wins the candy contest with the devil. Wow, it's amazing. Powerful. The goodness of God. It's always there. So there's so much amazing goodness going on, so much candy, so much awesomeness, so much good things. So where's the trick? Anybody's parents ever bring you up to be afraid of candy on Halloween? My mom, and this is pretty normal, my mom would say, don't eat that until I check it. Why? Because there could be poison in it. Okay, check it. So do you know how my mom would check it? Take it and look at it. I'm pretty sure now that I'm an adult, that is not a test for poison. Right? Okay, go ahead. Right? I know moms have a lot of powers. Like my mom could clean my face with her spit, which is really weird. Powerful. But somehow candy could be just checked that way. But that, what about razor blades and stuff? Anybody ever got told that when you were a kid? Well, be careful. That could have a razor blade in it. Like... My Snickers bar, this has a razor blade in there. Like, I literally would eat candy and, like, be so afraid as I ate it, nervous, like, slowly biting it, because I'm afraid that the razor blade is going to, like, go through my face. And I'm terrified. took me a long time. kept me skinny as a kid. But that's how people think. So where did this come from? So there's actually two stories. American, like, history, there's two stories that actually spawned this craze of being super afraid of candy. Okay, the first one was the Texas Pixie Stick Poisoning. Sounds ominous, right? Sounds like a children's mystery book, right? Like that would be a great book for homeschool and for kids. Uh, the most infamous Halloween poisoning took place on October 31st, 1974. That's when a Texas man named Ronald O'Brien gave cyanide-laced pixie sticks to five children, including his son. So here's the reason that he did it. He actually did it because he was nuts, first of all. And second is he was trying to collect life insurance on his kid, um, which his kid did pass away. Sorry for that news, but um, he did get caught, and he, one person won, um, and I believe got the death penalty, and is gone. But it was actually one person, one family trying to do an insurance fraud scheme, right? But now everyone around the world is afraid when they eat a pixie stick, because this one thing happened with his family. The other one happened in Japan, actually, 
and it was called The Poison Ransom of the 1980s. And in the 1980s, there's a crime ring, and this is a great name for a crime ring if you're thinking of starting one, um, because it's no longer taken. Mystery Man with 21 Faces. That was the name of their crime ring. And so the Mystery Man, it's a little longer than the mob or the mafia, but Mystery Man with 21 Faces. And what they did is they blackmailed the Japanese candy companies by saying that we have put candy out all over the city, and the candies are laced with cyanide, and if you don't pay a ransom, we will not go retrieve them. And so then your brand will sell this poison candy and kill people, and then your business will go out. And so they actually tried to pull this scheme off. So all the candy was pulled from the shelves. There was nothing on it. it. turned out to be a fraud. So three months later, they pulled the same scheme, only this time they did lace it with cyanide, trying to get the ransom. But the bags were pulled, and the cyanide was found. And they had 125,000 investigations over the years since the 1980s by the Japanese police trying to find the mystery man of 21 Faces group, and they never could even discover who did it. And so it's this mystery group that was out there. So these are the two major incidences that have caused so much panic around the world about candy on these nights. So here's the thing. Sometimes we can get something where we hear about something or see something, and we don't necessarily even know all the details, but the legend of it grows into... All of these other additional, oh my gosh, this could happen. Oh my gosh, this would happen. Billions of pieces of candy will go out tomorrow or tonight. All around the world. And we won't have a mass thing on the news of everybody dying of candy poisoning. But many people will be worried about that and freaked out about that. Because this fear has grown, right? Well, many people have a relationship with God where they've been walking out this relationship with God, but they've heard. Be careful. Because it's going to let you down. Things aren't going to work out. This person prayed, man, God wasn't even there for him. God didn't watch out for him. And we don't always know the circumstances behind the situation. And we don't know the whole story of how it unfolded or how it played out. I'll give you one example. My mom passed away about nine years ago of a brain aneurysm, very sudden. And we had prayed for her and, and believed that God had, had done all these things in her life. And she had she'd had a tumor like eight, nine years before that, that God had miraculously delivered her from in her brain. And she had eight, nine years of beautiful life after that. But then she passed away. And so for some people, they say, well, where's the goodness of God in that, right? That's a trick. That's not a treat. Because we had all been praying. We're thankful for God. Well, what actually ended up happening one thing my mom was, of all the wonderful things that she was, was she was not uh, organized, detailed, or able to follow through on anything very well. And so my brother, who's like 6'10", uh, tall, is, had a major back problems all the way through his back to where he could barely stand up and is debilitating. Like he'd be in a wheelchair right now. But when my mom passed away, my dad got remarried. And when my dad got remarried, he married a lady who raised five boys and was an ex-truck driver and is totally, completely the whip cracking, snap you into shape, everything's in order, everything's detailed person. And guess what happened just a few months after they got married? My brother had insurance, my brother was in a hospital, my brother was having surgery and getting his back fixed. Now, is that the perfect outcome? Could that have happened with my mom? It wasn't happening, but it's completely changed his whole life. And now he has this opportunity to do that. He's a nurse like Mandela. That's what he does now and helps people. He couldn't even really get up before. And now he wanders the hospital helping people and bringing life to people. My sister had such a bad eating disorder that she was hospitalized, almost died. Had it for years. Like literally they thought she was going to die. She was in the hospital. They're trying to get stuff back in her, get her alive. 
And my mom was unable, my mom was a very compassionate, loving person, but unable to get her out of that because my mom was all wonderful, beautiful grace and love. But there was no, this is happening right now. Well, this lady when my dad remarried had a different attitude and mindset and just came in like a bull and grabbed my sister and says, we're getting things in shape, which was totally, I'm not saying that's always the best way to do it, but for my sister, it all ended up working out. And my sister ended up coming out of that. She used to actually like me hide in her room, not leave the house, she had all these anxieties and fears and food disorders and craziness going on. And she had damaged her body so much she could never have kids from all of the eating disorders. They said, you can never have kids, you've wrecked your body. Uh, when she brought everything back together, gave her life to the Lord and really let him touch her life, she ended up actually then moving to California where my brother's a pastor, ended up marrying the worship pastor there, and she has a bunch of wonderful, amazing little kids running around that are their kids. Well, it seemed like a trick when my mom passed away. But in reality, we're all going to wind up in heaven with God someday. So God took her early. I don't think she's complaining about that now. And then used other means to help her two kids, which she had been praying for for decades, to try to get help. Years trying to get them help. And God said, I'm going to answer your prayer, but I'm going to bring you home, and then I'm going to do it. Right? And it was a treat. We didn't understand it. We didn't see it. But yet, God's goodness was still there. So that's what happened. So God does that in all of our lives. But I'm going to bring up Kyle and Jenna, if you want to bring those with you, Kyle. Um, and we're going to do this a little bit of interview style. And we're going to hit a couple of stories and just see how do these relate uh, to your own real life. And so what we're looking at here is first the story out of Genesis chapter 37. Uh, and this is the story of uh, Genesis, sorry, chapter 21. This is the story of Hagar. So in the Bible, there was a, a woman named Hagar. And Hagar was, uh, back then they had servants, slaves, all those things. And it wasn't just black and white. This was just happening all over the world. This is just how people lived. Sometimes, some places of the world, they still do live that way. Uh, but you would have servants and people that lived in your home, and they called them uh, servants, but they were really, uh, for the most part, slaves. And so they had them there, and Abraham and his wife couldn't have kids. And so the, basically, one of their servant people was Hagar, and they said, you know what, you can have a kid for our family. And so he got her pregnant. She's going to have this baby. Now, if you're Hagar, now back then, it was still a blessing. That would still be considered a blessing, I'm not saying that's a mindset that we have now, but that would still have been considered a blessing to Hagar to have a kid, right? And to have that opportunity to be a part of this and kind of elevated within the family status and circle. And this is what's happening. And it seems like what would be in that culture and in that time, a treat, a blessing, being brought up, honored, having a kid, being a, a bigger part of, of the picture in the family. And that is how it would be viewed. However, if you read the story, it wasn't long before the actual wife was so angry and so jealous that she basically ran her out of the family into the desert. And she finds herself in the desert in Genesis chapter 21. She finds herself in the desert with nothing left, a little bit of water left, and her baby is now going to die. So she puts it away from her in a bush, and she goes and sits somewhere else because she doesn't want to watch it die. And that's where she's at. And it seems like this treat in life, this unforeseen blessing of having a kid and being elevated, has been turned into a terrible trick. And so my question is to Jenna, has there ever been a situation in your life where you felt like God was bringing some kind of a treat, something good, and then you found yourself thinking, 
what happened? What is this? Um, yes, yeah, so, um, so actually, yes, there is a time where that has happened. Um, I remember back in 2013, I found out I was pregnant, and I was so happy and so excited, and telling all my friends and my family, and, um, and some time had passed, and I had to go to the hospital because I was miscarrying my baby. And I remember thinking, I was at the hospital, and I was like, this can't be happening. God loves me too much. I remember picking up the baby off the floor, and I just remember thinking, this can't be, this can't be happening. Like, God loves me. This isn't happening. And so I started, I was in such denial that this was actually going on, that I was losing my baby. And my first baby, I was so, so terrified. And I just kept replaying in my mind, like, no, God loves me. No, God loves me. Why would this happen? And so I went through several tests and ultrasounds, and finally it was confirmed, like, there's no baby. And so sitting there and just going through that and realizing, okay, God, where are you in this? Where are you? God, you, you blessed me with a baby, and now you've taken it away so quickly. And so I went through lots of weeks of, I don't know if God is ever going to let me have babies. I don't know if I'm going to be able to be a mom. I had so many questions and was just wondering, like, God, why would you do this to me? And, um, and I remember him speaking to me and speaking a promise and saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he just kept speaking that over me. And he kept telling me, no, I love you. My love is real. You know, I have no idea why God took that baby. There's no answers here on heaven. You know, I will never have answers for that. I can just trust that God took that baby for the right reason. You know, God knows. He knew. He knew exactly why that baby needed to be with him in heaven. And he knew what I needed to go through to realize the depth of his love. And now I have four beautiful kids. Like, God fulfilled his promise. He said, you will have kids. You'll be a mom. And it was in his timing. It was perfect the way it all happened. Like, no, I would never want anyone to experience that. And, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I went through that to learn about God's love, the depth of it, to have something literally physically in my hands. And Yeah, and that's for all of us. There's times in our life where maybe we are so close to something we feel like God is putting in our life. Right? It could be a relationship. It could be a child like this. It could be something, um, maybe you're breaking through an addiction. Maybe you're finally letting go of some trauma of your past. Maybe something's happening, and you're just you're so close to what you feel like you're at the, right at the gate of the promise, and all of a sudden you find it's all taken away, and you're back in that struggle, back in that place. And God is faithful. God is faithful. And God's been faithful to, to Jenna and Kyle and brought them through that. I remember, you know, those, those times and the struggle of that. And, man, you've got some great kids now. And there were some health scares with, with uh, little Maverick, yeah. Yeah. right, where it almost felt like that was going to happen again, something was going to happen yeah. with his kidneys and all those things. And yet God, once again, you want to share on that for just a second? Yeah, actually, that was the second thing that I had um, thought about. When Maverick was born, he, um, he had, like, RSV a couple weeks after he was born. But then after that, he just started just getting sick. He was just sick, and we had no idea what was going on. Very lethargic, and there, when Bend, we, we took him to several doctors. We were at the ER. We were everywhere, but nobody could figure out what was going on, and so once we moved here, we figured out what was going on, but 
there were so many times where I thought that I was going to lose him or that there was something really bad because if you don't have answers from a doctor, you're, you're left to wonder like, oh my gosh, this is something really bad. This is really major. And so I thought that I was going to lose him. And, um, and so I just kept praying. I said, God, you, like, just how I felt with the baby that I lost is that, all right, God, like, you've given me this, this child for this amount of time. I'm just going to have to trust you. I'm just going to have to trust you because there's, there's no other option. And so I kept continuing to trust him. We kept praying and saying, you know what, we're just going to continue to believe. And then one morning, it was actually three years ago, Maverick woke up and he said, He's like, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed my belly. He healed me. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? That week, I took him to the doctor, and the doctor said there is no more sickness in his body. And wow. so it was Praise God. such a miracle. So awesome. It's amazing. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? Even a little kid can just wake up and say, man, God's healed me. And that's been, how long has that been? A year? Three years. Three years since that happened. It's been, that went by fast. Yeah. Three years. And his body he, you have to watch everything he ate before, all these different things. Now he can eat, he can have fun, he can be a kid. Like God healed him. And it stuck in that lasted. Gen- in Genesis 37 is another story in the Bible, and this is the story of Joseph. Now Joseph was given a dream by God about a future and all these things that were going to happen in his life. And the next thing you know, he's got this whole you know, purpose he's going for. It's kind of the reverse of Mandela's story. Mandela started in a pit and God took him into purpose. Joseph started with a purpose, this big vision, all this excitement. I got a destiny in his mind, and then suddenly he found himself in a pit. And his brothers, who were jealous of him, got mad at him and actually threw him in a pit and sold him off into slavery um, and told his dad that he had died by a wild animal just to get rid of him. So he's thrown in this pit, and this is what happens to him. And so sometimes, you know, that would seem like, well, I've got a destiny. God's promised me a treat, like a good thing. And it turns into a curse. You know, it turns in to a trick. It's not a treat. Now, there's a razor blade in that. This was a bad situation. Like, man, God had a dream for me of all these things that were going to happen, and nope, here I am in a pit. It was just garbage. Sometimes that happens in life. Kyle, has there been a situation where you felt like, oh my gosh, how did I wind up in this pit? I thought I was going somewhere or something good was happening? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I would say there's probably like two, two big parts to that, actually. Um, so I'll try to be quick. But I'd say the first kind of pit that I was in <clears throat> would be, you know, a lot of people, you know, you guys know my story. I grew up without a family, without a dad and mom, different things like that. And, you know, there's this, I think every kid has this hope and this idea, you know, and they see other families, you know, with moms and dads and, you know, normal functioning, healthy type things. And, um, you know, and not having that, you know, I didn't realize necessarily that I was in, in a pit, so to speak. And it's funny because this morning as I was actually getting ready, I was thinking about the story when I was a kid where uh, <clears throat> um, we, we had these my mom babysat for this family and there's three boys and they, the boys had a dad and there was just something like, they're just very like boyish. And I was not very boyish because I, I didn't, I just didn't have that example, I guess. And I remember these boys like totally took advantage of me. I had this very cool Star Wars, Darth Vader figurine that was in a glass case. It was like this awesome collector's thing. Right. And I loved it so much. And these boys, they got around me like, Oh, Kyle, no, no, you here, we, we got a, we got a deal for you. Right, and they totally like just took advantage. They traded me like a, like a janky, a cheap windbreaker jacket, like some some crap other some some other things that weren't so good. They were crap. Sorry, they were sport. And I remember like being on the playground, and they're just laughing at me and just like, look at that loser and his windbreaker. And we got this really expensive collector's item, whatever. 
And I just remember looking back on that, and, and you know, this morning it just hit me, and I was thinking about it like, man, I, I imagine that if I'd grown up with a dad, with somebody that I could go to to say, hey, you know, uh, is, this good, is this a good deal, or am I getting taken advantage of, am I getting ripped off, and not having that. And, and so I can look at how I grew up and think, that was, that was a trick. Like, it sucked. Like, that wasn't fair. That wasn't right. But honestly, if I look at it and look at where I'm at now and the relationship that I have with God as a father, like, honestly, like, I'm kind of grateful for the way that things happened the way they did. It seemed like I was getting tricked out of having a family and tricked out of having a father and having a dad and, you know, the stability and everything. But honestly, for me, it's turned into this treat because my dependence, my example, my reference point isn't on that because there wasn't one there isn't one it's on God it's on his word on what it looks like to be a dad to be a husband to have a family is based off of the whole what the Bible says and my relationship with God the time that I spend with God so that's definitely a big part of of it for me a big you know from a pit you know there's a verse I think Psalm 142 7 it says you know set me free from my prison that I may praise your name that the righteous will gather about me and that's, that's exactly what God has done. He's taken me, he took me out of that pit, put me into God's family where y'all have been examples and just the last, you know, whatever, 15, 20 years of this, uh, I don't know, just having, being, you know, surrounded by the righteous has been huge. And even that, though, can I go a little bit farther? Even that seemed like it was a treat. Right now I'm surrounded by the righteous. Everything's good and dandy. And I'm, I'm on this trajectory to grow in my destiny in Christ. And I have all these great people around me to help me. And as time unfolded in these different, uh, you know, uh, circles that I was in, some things came out that just ended up not being healthy. And I didn't know because I was just so desperate, right, for family, so desperate for affection. I didn't see on how unhealthy things were. And so this whole thing, that this trajectory that I was on, it seemed like, okay, cool, this is, a, this is the direction I'm going. I'm going to grow on my destiny. And it ended up getting, you know, kind of just like pulled out from under me. And I remember when the situation happened, when kind of it hit its apex, um, I remember we left, Jen and I, we left a meeting, we're driving back to our house, and, and I was just like shell-shocked from the situation, and I was like, God, what are you doing? What is going on? Help me. <laughs> like, this is so weird, and like, everything is changing like that, and I'm very clearly, I heard God say, I'm going to establish myself as your father, you know, and so even that situation, that whole blow-up, that whole thing that happened, it seemed like it was, you know, I had a treat, then I'm getting tricked, and then it turned out being a treat anyway because of God, because what he was doing and, the, and you know, the, the destiny that he has. And so, um, you know, and, and, and uh, absolutely, just like Joseph, feeling like, I mean, people that I was closest with were sending me texts like, just, I don't want to get all into it right now, but just mean things, things like that weren't fair, that weren't right, because they were hurt, and it was just a mess. And, uh, you know, and it was, it was not fun, but God definitely... I feel like he's pulled me out of that pit and is, you know, um, continuing me on the journey. So, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's a cycle and you have to keep on keeping your eyes on the Lord and keep on letting him bring you forward into things. And Kyle, man, God's touched him so much. He doesn't even care anymore that that little Darth Vader thing sold online for 1.4 million last year. He's just totally fine. He's totally fine. Totally fine. Not a big deal whatsoever. Doesn't even think about it at all. Uh, 1 Kings 17, 12. You know, although I just say that is sometimes a problem. Sometimes when something happens to us and it seems unfair, it being unfair to us is part of the issue. We got tricked. But boy, it burns sometimes when you see somebody else got blessed that actually is the one that tricked you. Have you ever had that happen? 
like that Darth Vader dude is like really making it now. Like, wow, oh my gosh, you know? Sometimes that happens, right? We see in somebody who we feel like really, uh, you know, did something wrong to us is still prospering or benefiting, and we have to trust things into God's hands. That's what Joseph did. He just trusted it in God's hands, and later God elevated him back up, brought him into his destiny, and he actually was able to forgive and go back and help the people who had thrown him, his brothers who had thrown him into the ditch. So God's well, able to do that. All those boys are now career criminals in jail. So. <laughs> That's how Kyle sues himself at night. All right, First Kings 17 is another story. Um, and this is about a widow. So here's a widow. She has a little bit of, just a little tiny bit of food left. Just a, just, and when I say tiny, I mean one meal for her and her son. That's all she's got. And so the prophet of the Lord comes, right? So somebody who's speaking the word of God, a leader of God comes. And the Bible says to, that true religion is to keep ourselves unspotted or undefiled from the world and to take care of widows and orphans in their distress. So here comes this prophet, this man of God, to take care of a widow and orphan in her distress. And do you know what he does? He comes to her and he says, hey, I need your help. I'm hungry. And she says, well, we were just about to make our last meal. And then we're going to die. Like, that's what she said. Anybody ever seen, like, a pessimist, like, half glass empty? Like, this lady's got a plate half empty. Like, she's like, I'm going to eat this and die. Like, just no faith at all. And do you know what his answer to her is? Anybody ever been in a tough situation and you need some comfort? Right? You just need somebody to come with Hey, do you know what? You're going to be okay. Do you know what? Have faith. Lift up your eyes to Jesus. He's going to provide all your meals, all your food. Don't worry. You'll, you'll never go hungry. The righteous never go begging for bread. God is good. Anybody ever need that in your life? Well, not this time. He says, okay, make my food first. I'm hungry. <laughs> and he sends her back to make his food first. Right? Like, if you're going to die, could you please cook for me first? Because I am hungry and I don't want to cook for myself. Right? Just do this. That seems an awful lot like a treat that turned out to be a trick. I mean, here she sees a prophet coming. And you're thinking, oh, God's coming to rescue me. And he wants that last bit of everything that you have. Give the rest to me. Now, in the end, God used that faith because she did it. God used that faith to bless her and provided for her all throughout the rest of their life. He said, man, give me that last little bit so you're not leaning on your own understanding. You're not depending on yourself at all. Just depend fully on me and I'm going to do something for the rest of your life that's going to bring you blessing and prosperity. And she did that. But that's a tough thing to do. And sometimes we feel like we've given everything that we have, and it's almost like that. God, I've given you everything, and nothing's working. Now I'm just going to die, right? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, I'm just, I'm done. Has that ever happened for, for either one of you? You guys could both answer if you want. Um, has anything like that ever happened? Um, yeah, actually. Um, a while back, I was really, uh, we were really involved in a church, and we have we literally gave our entire lives. We obviously given our lives to Jesus, but we gave our lives to the church to help serve at this church and to love people, to give our money to, and we did all these things. And um, and as time went on, we got very hurt by some things that were happening at the church. And you know what? We decided we're like, okay, we're going to leave this church. And when I had left. I felt like I was walking away from God's goodness. I was walking away from God's love. And so when I left, I felt like I no longer deserved God's love because I was no longer at 
this church. I was no longer serving him. I was no longer giving him my all. Um, and so it was a really huge process of learning, like, I can love Jesus, and I can give him my all, and I can depend on him, just like what Andy was saying, is that I can actually just solely depend on Jesus. I don't have to depend on people. I don't have to look to people for approval, for affirmation. It's just that I can depend on God to support me, to love me, to be my strength. And doing ministry and loving people is done out of his strength anyways. It's not done out of, you know, what I can do, what I can muster up, the good ideas that I have. And so I learned that it's, it's all from him, the strength, the energy, the ideas, the thoughts, it all comes from him in order to do this, to, to love people, to love God, and to live like we mean it. And so I'm really, really thankful that I went through that. It was very, very hard, um, a very dark season, but I'm so thankful that you know, what I thought was a trick turned out to be a treat, that I have this relationship with Jesus that I never had before, where I can hear his voice, where I can actually depend on him, actually rely on him. And I'm so thankful for that. And I remember him telling me, I remember him saying, you know what, Jenna, if you never ever, you know, if you never serve me again, if you never, you know, do what you need to, what you feel like you need to do for the church. If you never do that again, I will still love you. I'll still love you the same. I will love you the same today right. and yesterday and forevermore. And so that was huge. And that made me want to serve him more. That made me want to love him more because there was no strings attached, absolutely no strings attached. And I had to go through that to learn, okay, God's love is real. This isn't a trick. Like, it's not depending on what I can do for him or the things I can say. It's actually, he just loves me. <laughs> like, he actually just loves me. And so sometimes you have to go through things to actually realize, like, hey, God just actually loves me for who I am, for what I'm doing. And so I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, that's amazing. And that, that happens a lot of times we get our focus. So we've been talking last month about being rooted in love, right? That means that everything else grows out of it. You can't be rooted in service and expect that love is just going to grow out of that. That's not pure love. That's, that's not real love. That's not God's love. God's love starts first while we were even yet sinners. We had nothing to offer. And yet he loved and everything else grew from that. We serve because we're loved and because we love him. We do these different things. It comes out of that, but it's this original foundational piece that we start here in, this, in love. And sometimes God will take certain things away from us and things will happen in order to get us back. You know, it's like trimming a, you know, trimming a bush and, and you cut it back or a tree, you know, in an orchard, you cut it back. Why? So it can bear better fruit. So sometimes we cut things back to get us back to basics in order to allow new growth to come that's healthy growth and that's good growth. Uh, this is the last one is in Samuel 19. Uh, there's a story about David. Now, King David was originally, is somebody going to come out and find out who's going to be the next king? And there's all these things going on in the, in the city and David was anointed to be the next king by God's prophet. Came, poured oil over on him, anointed him. It didn't mean it happened at that moment. It meant that when the, next, when the existing king was gone, he would be the one. Well, it ends up getting to a point where he's killed Goliath, right? He came out of, the, out of watching the sheep, and he becomes a hero of the nation to kill Goliath. He ends up becoming just the instrument player for King Saul, who was having some real emotional mental issues. And he would have David come in and play the harp and just help him feel better, Right? And, hey, come on in and, and play for me. You know, someday you could be king. And I know you killed Goliath and you're a hero, but just come and make me feel better. Come and play this. 
You come in and play it. But Saul had so much jealousy and anger about David's eventual place that God was taking him to that he actually, it says in this passage, that he actually took his spear and throws it at David and tries to kill him. And that didn't work. So if you actually read the chapter, there's like two or three more attempts where he keeps chasing him down, trying to find him and just kill him. And so the person who is supposed to be kind of preparing the way for him, mentoring him, bringing him up, taking him into his destiny, is actually set on taking his life and to take him out. And sometimes we have a hope and we put our our trust in someone or something that this is what's going to take me to where I feel God wants me to go. And then we find out, do you know what, that turns out to be a trick. And this is not getting me there. This is actually trying to harm me or hurt me. And it could be something that we're doing. It could be someone that we're in relationship with. But this is a pretty common thing that happens. And Kyle, is going to give that one to you. Is there a time in your life where you've seen something like that take place? Yeah, first of all, there's this really good book. It's a short book by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings. And it's basically about David, Saul, and Absalom. And it's a really good book. And what it kind of touches on is, is this story of David and Saul and, you know, um, just that relationship that they had and, and how it unfolded and everything. Because and, I've definitely, yeah, so, you know, like I said, <clears throat> going back to that whole, I'm going to establish myself as your father incident, right? Um, when that moment happened, you know, I had put a lot of my hope and my faith in another person as a father figure, as a mentor, as somebody who's going to help me become a man. Somebody's going to help me to be a father and be a husband and to become a pastor and all these things. And and I will say that there was there was some stuff in there that I did learn. However, there were a lot of spears that were thrown, right? Just like Saul is chucking spears at David, that occurred as well. And, and you know, and I'll share that text. I talked about that text. When, when some things finally started to come to a head, you know, really um, kind of started to transition out of that relationship is the, the message that I got from this father in the faith, from this mentor, right? Um, after some things happened and I said, hey, I need, I need you to like really respect and honor what Jen and I are asking for. Is he sent me this text and he said, you know, I'm gonna be talking to our, our leaders, our church leaders about this because you're a pathetic excuse for a man and you have no godly character and there's what, how you're li- living is displeasing to Jesus and you're gonna look back with tears in your eyes um, on, on the man you rejected who loved you as a father, right? And so talk about some spears getting thrown, right? And it was hard, it was painful, it really, it really sucked. And, and again, coming out of that, right, <clears throat> God said, I'm gonna establish myself as your father, Right, because the hope that I'd had in, in this relationship in this person was wasn't being fulfilled. It wasn't happening the way that I thought it would. And honestly, it couldn't have anyway. Right? There's a certain amount of responsibility on myself for putting that type of you know emphasis on another person. Granted, I was a broken kid, broken guy, trying to find a dad and trying to find all this stuff. But um, you know, uh, so there was some responsibility that I had in that. Regardless, it still really hurt, you know, and, and again, you know, the treat side to it all is, yeah, I'm able to be in a point, in a place where, you know, I don't have to, like, necessarily, like, like, rely on, on, you know, Pastor Andy or on any of my leaders, like, I mean, it was to the point when this relationship in the past where it's, like, before I would make a decision, like, any type of decision, my first thought was, what would Pastor think? What would he think? Would he approve of this? What, I'd have to think through, you know, try to understand that, as opposed to, God, is this something that you want to do? You're, you're, my, you're my God. You're my father. You're, you're, the, you're the main person in my life. Do you want me to do this? 
And so, again, there's some responsibility on me for that. But, you know, again, the, the treat side to that is God establishing himself as my father, you know, and, and learning what kind of what not to do, you know, to not throw those spears, to not, you know, allow myself to be in that type of position where I'm, uh, you know, <clears throat> elevated in somebody else's heart or mind, you know, if I'm leading somebody, if I'm mentoring somebody, if I'm loving on somebody, to not, you know, don't come to me, go to God, <laughs> go to Jesus. And so... Um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely, there's a lot more to be said, but I'm, I could talk forever. Yeah, and that's just to say, you know, things can happen in our, in our lives, they can happen in our jobs, they can happen in church, in our families. There's just situations we go through where we can go through this dependence on other people, codependence, you know, we talk about that at Recovery Sum, is codependence, and really the Bible's model is interdependence. The Bible says that a strand of three cords is not easily broken, and that is a relationship that is wound together with each other, but with God at the center, Right? He's the driving force. He's the one that holds it together. He's the one that's moving it. It's not just two people depending and pulling upon each other. Right? But in all of that, even when we don't feel like we have God there, in Kyle's situation, God showed himself faithful and strong and said, you know, I'm here. I've been here the whole time. I'm going to bring you into a place of health and healthy relationships. There's all these things that we go through in life. And oftentimes, our first kind of reaction with them can feel like, because we don't have complete understanding, can feel like, man, I just got tricked. God says, forgive this person. I forgave them. I went, so in my mind, man, I worked it all up. That I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to sit down with them for coffee and say, do you know what? I forgive you because you did this, this, and this, and I'm going to forgive you. And man, God's just going to do this dramatic healing moment, right? And then Oprah's going to give a car away or something's going to happen. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be beautiful. Can't wait. Sit down with them forgive them, and they stare at you and say, why would you need to forgive me? You're the problem. And your thing you were trying to do, you're like, man, look, God, you tricked me. You said forgive, and I forgave, and I just sat there, and somebody stuck a spear right through my heart again. Well, that's the initial, that's us inspecting the candy with our own eyes. Lord, I don't see, doesn't look like that's working. That's not a real spiritual test. God sees, God knows, God looks for him, God says, you know, you forgave, and it wasn't about whether or not they thought they needed it. You forgave, and now I'm going to bless you and work in your life and in your heart and bring freedom. Right? There's all these ways where we have to trust God and put our hope and our dependence upon him. Here's two verses I'm going to read, and then we're going to close in prayer. Romans 8, 28, and now we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. It's not just that God works all things together for good, which is the short of that verse that most people say, but he works all things together for good for those who love him, rooted in love, right, and are called according to his purpose. Romans 5, 1 through 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, so we've been made right with God through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So it's talking about a place where we're standing, we're firmly placed, rooted, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So it's not going to turn into a, a trick. We have this hope and we're on this foundation. We're in relationship with God. It's not going to put us to shame, but why? 
It says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Again, that entire passage comes out of what? God's love for us. Rooted in love. The reason we can trust God that when he calls us to do things or when he says, hey, this is the way to live or hey, this is what I want you to do or this is the way to walk, the reason that we can trust him in that, even if the circumstances around us don't seem to be adding up or the circumstances and feelings within us don't seem to be adding up, we can trust him is because everything he says, every instruction he gives, every way he interacts with our life starts from the root the base, the beginning of love and everything that grows out of it is love. The Bible talks about that. Everything produces after its own kind, right? Even since the beginning, that's how God made it. When it starts with love, it produces the pure love of God. It produces a pure fruit that is meant to bless our lives and we can trust God for that, amen? Father, I thank you for everyone who's here. God, I pray that you would touch their lives today, Lord, however they needed to hear this word, Lord, about what's going on in their life. Lord, that you would bring peace, you would bring trust, Lord, and you would open, Lord, their eyes to your purpose and your plan, Lord, and that they can totally and completely rest in your love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.